God's plans for us haven't changed. That should give everybody encouragement today. He says, I still have plans, and it's a, it's a plural. Did you notice the word plan is not plan, but it's plans. No matter how many times the enemy means something for harm, God's got a new plan that is to turn it for good. And I'm just encouraged by the fact that he doesn't run out of breakthroughs. He doesn't run out of miracles. He doesn't run out of turnarounds. He's like a God that has unlimited potential when it comes to bringing redemption and restoration to the broken areas of our lives individually and corporately and as a nation. There's no doubt that we have forsaken the ancient pathways of righteousness. There's no doubt that the church has become a place in the Western culture for the most part of how much God can bless me instead of how much I can bless God. There's no doubt we've messed up, but here's the good news. God still has plans. And if you think about God's thoughts for you, he doesn't have bad ones. Mm. They, they outnumber the grains of sand and they're all good. <laughs> they're all good thoughts. They're all good plans. And so let's, let's read the context of this setting that Jeremiah is telling uh, God's people that he has good plans. And once we get it, you guys, once we understand that God is for us, you know, I go back to my favorite chapter. Well, one of my favorite chapters in Romans 8. If God is for you, who can be against you? Come on. You may look all around and say, wait a minute, we're surrounded on all sides. Yeah, but God's for you. And uh, he has good plans. He has good thoughts. He has good ideas for you. And so <clears throat> I'm going to read the first part of this chapter to give us context, okay? Because we need to be more thankful today than we've ever been before. Can I get, can I get a hand wave on that? We need to be more thankful right now than we've ever been before. Okay. Jeremiah 29. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people. So check this out. There were elders in the exile. There were priests in the exile, and there were prophets in the exile. So here's the note to self from this first verse. Don't allow the circumstances of your life, your church, your government, your world, to dictate whether you're going to stay engaged in the body of Christ. Whatever your position is, stand firm, stay on the wall. Don't disconnect, don't shrink back. Be an elder, be a priest, be a prophet, be one of the intercessors. It doesn't matter. Our circumstances aren't the thing that define us. Our intimacy and relationship and belief in our almighty God are our identity. Amen? Amen, church? Okay, so verse 2 says, this was after King Jeconia and the queen mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elash, the son of Shaphan. Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile, from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
That's an interesting verse. God's taking credit. God's taking credit for the dilemma they find themselves in as a nation. And I think if we could get privy right now to the throne room, I think God would take credit right now for what's happening in America. Because, and I said this before you guys, I'm going to say it again. I think both of our presidential candidates were a picture of what the church has become. I believe that he's like, doesn't have a lot of strength or zeal or energy, but he knows how to just get along. I think there's a lot of people in the church like that. I don't think we have much passion. I don't think we have much zeal. I just think we know how to work the system. On the other hand, we see Donald Trump, who does all the right things, makes the right decisions about conservative judges, hates abortion, wants freedom of religion. He wants to do the right things, but he has a terrible attitude most of the time acts like he's just angry and obnoxious. And that's a picture of a lot of the church. A lot of the church does the right things a lot with terrible attitudes, which neither one of them are Christ-like. Come on. And so I think right now, God would take credit for where we're at as a nation. I don't think he would say the devil snuck in on him and sabotaged him and caught him off guard. I would say that God is still in control. And if anybody doesn't believe that God is the sovereign God, then you don't know really who God is. Satan didn't snooker God on an election, and Satan didn't sneak in a virus from China. Satan, Satan didn't do anything that God didn't allow it for his greater purposes. Come on. And he wants us to get the right perspective in this season. How many are with me? Come on. It's, it may not feel good, but it'll help you in the end. So, so, so check this out. This is my advice to you in the situation you're in. This is from God to his people. Verse 5, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Wow. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will have welfare. Isn't that amazing, you guys? Think about that. What's God's advice to Christians in a bad situation? Live your life like I'm still your God. Come on. I thought somebody would be happy about that. The sun came up this morning. Come on. He's still in control. We may be getting government mandates, and we may be told this, we may be told that. But you know what God's advice is? Build your houses, plant your gardens, get married, have, have grandkids that have kids that have kids. Have generations of people that know their God and know that God knows them and start praying for your government, start praying for your leaders, start praying for your pastors, start praying for your churches, start praying for your cities and watch God bless your cities 
And when he blesses your cities, you'll be blessed too, regardless of the circumstances. Now that ought to get somebody happy. Come on. <clears throat> That's regardless of who's in charge, because if we get the right perspective, we realize God's in charge. And he usually does his best work in what we would consider the worst of times. Come on. Did you want Donald Trump to be reelected, Dan? Yes, I did. But guess what? If we start facing a little bit more persecution for our Christian faith, if we start being traumatized a little more from the government entities, it might release a greater desperation and hunger in the body of Christ. And it might be the thing that really sparks the revival we've all been praying for for years. I'm, preach, I'm preaching really good. I couldn't have said this last night on the prayer call because that would have been going against the grain, but that's what I really believe. I believe that sometimes we pray for things that prolong the revival we're all longing to see. Because when things are fairly comfortable, there's not a broken desperation that pulls heaven down. But when we know that our only option and our only hope is that God breaks in in supernatural ways, that's usually when he starts breaking in. Amen. Okay, so let's see what happens. Verse 8. Look at verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream. That's interesting. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name, and I have not sent them, declares the Lord. I think that's what's happened. I think there's so much discouragement because so many people have said, this is what God told me, this is what God told me, this is what God told me, this is what God told me. And most of them this year didn't turn out the way they said God told them. And that's caused a real undermining of confidence in who's hearing from God. Do you guys get that? See, I think when you want to see abortion ended, come on. And when you want to see uh, a man and a woman uh, okay with getting married and not ostracized like we're intolerant, and, and you want to see things that stand for justice and truth and stand for Israel and all the things that we believe are really valuable as Christians, when you want to see those things bad enough, I think it affects your dream life. I think it affects, it affects your prayer life because it's what we know we want to see God do. Here's the danger is that you can produce your own visions and dreams from what you think God needs to do. And maybe you haven't heard from God at all. And uh, yeah, you know what I think? I think, <clears throat> I think back when the holiness and the Pentecostal revival started, back around 1904 to 07 in that range, you know, Zeusa Street, Phineas Brzee, I think, I think God was really moving. And I think people were really hearing from God. And I think over time, fear, and self and egos got involved 
and we lost that fire. And I think for the past 50 or 60 years, we've been grasping to try to find the fire. And it's opened up lots of venues for people to say things that might represent what we think we're looking for. And I think what the world is dying for more than anything is an Acts 2 Pentecostal outpouring of the sanctifying work of the Spirit to where people's hearts and lives and natures could be made holy and pure and righteous and their motivating factors in their lives would become so singly focused on love. And I think that's what the world's dying for. And it seems so old fashioned that people today in this culture that have been brought up in our church culture would think, well, that's archaic, that's old fashioned, that doesn't work. And see, I think that's why God would say, I'm the one that's allowed you to go into exile because I'm gonna get you so desperate that you'll realize that what I started way back in Acts 2 hasn't come to its fruition yet. I just gave 120 people the expression of what I want all flesh to experience. And I really believe that if we would just press in and build our houses and worship our God and plant our gardens and have our offspring, come on, you guys. I really believe that God wants to baptize all flesh with the Holy Spirit and fire. And I believe that we're on the verge of that. And I believe the more desperate and the more hungry and the more vulnerable we stay to where we don't have control because we have numbers or we have power, but we have no control except we've got a hold of God who has all control. I think in our vulnerable expression of desperation to God, He's going to pour out a revival like we've all been dreaming about. And uh, come on, you guys. This really should be getting you encouraged this morning. Mm. And so I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not against prophecies. In fact, I really believe that if the, if the church doesn't have prophets they can listen to, the church becomes anemic. Then everybody just follows the current trend of what's popular preaching. You see, prophets shake up the status quo. And when you don't have prophetic voices that the church actually believes in any longer, then churches go to ministries that appear to be successful because of numbers and momentum, but they're not replicating what happened in Acts chapter 2 at all. And so we need the prophets to hear from God correctly. Come on, you guys. We need people to hear, thus saith the Lord. But we need them to hear what God's saying and not what their own desires are hoping God's saying. Amen? Are you guys with me on that? So, okay, let me keep going. <clears throat> okay, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. I don't think we have 70 years. Uh, I don't think that we have 70 years before Jesus returns. So in some aspects, we're in a lot better shape than the children of Israel were when they were exiled to Babylon. I think that we're like in really good shape. 
I think that this turnaround for us is going to come quicker than we can expect, but it's going to be because we've turned in repentance and belief and hunger because we can see that our God really does want to bring a mighty revival to the land. Amen. So I'll go back to the first verse that I read that everybody loves this verse for I know the plans. Aren't you glad God knows them? Is anybody glad that God knows his plans? Come on. He goes, I know he's God and he knows everything, but he knows the plans. I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. And what are those plans? Plans for welfare. And the word welfare could be translated prosperity. Wouldn't God get a lot of glory right now bringing prosperity back to the body of Christ? Wouldn't God get much glory right now bringing prosperity to the church when the church is on life support? Do you think God would get the biggest bang for his buck right now if he brought welfare back to the movement of the Holy Spirit? Come on. When it looks like, what are we going to do? Numbers are declining. Dollars are declining. Enthusiasm's declining. Depression is rising. Pastors want to quit. Where's their end in sight? And all of a sudden God says, but I know the plans. I know them. I got some good plans for you. And their welfare, which is prosperity, which is wholeness, which is healing, which is peace. You want to know what this word is? It's like a combination word of shalom and provision and healing and well-being. And and that's what God knows he thinks that his plan is going to be in your life. Whoa. I'd be excited if I actually believed that. Come on, I might sing praises at midnight when I'm chained up, if I really believe that the plans are always like that, wouldn't you? In fact, I think that's probably happened a time or two in history when people actually believed that God had a good plan for them in spite of their circumstances. Amen? Hmm. Plans for welfare. And then he puts this tag in here, not for calamity. You guys are looking at your situations You guys are looking at the circumstance. You're watching the news. You're pinned to everything else. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not my plan. My plan is not calamity. My plan is going to blow your mind. I'm just happy God's got plans, aren't you? And aren't you glad he's got more than one? Come on, you guys. Aren't you glad he's got more than one? Okay, so let's say, let's say, President Trump's lawyers find a secret, right, that proves there was vast fraud because something happened. We all know something happened, but it may be so embedded that we never find out until we get to the other side. But let's say they find it out and let's say that Trump is reinstated and he gets reelected. Okay, let's say that. Can you guys imagine the riots? It will be like a civil war. God will have to have a new plan for that scenario. Will God have to work a new plan in that scenario? Come on. Aren't you glad he has another plan? (laughs) Come on, man. Aren't you glad he's not out of good plans? And aren't you glad that if we keep our perspective on what God can do instead of what's going on around us, that we'll have a belief system that's always expecting the good instead of what's next in the bad? 
That changes everything, doesn't it? Does that change everything? To give you a future and a hope. And I, I love verses 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me. When? When will we call upon him? When we actually start believing how good he's thinking about what he's getting ready to do in our lives. Come on. When we really start believing this as, a, as like a mission statement, my God's good. He loves me. He's got good plans for me. He can't stop thinking about me. Every time he looks at me, it makes his heart beat faster. He loves me so much. He cannot wait to pour out his favor and his blessing on my life. That's what God thinks about all of his children, you guys. He's not in heaven thinking, man, I wonder if I should beat him today. It never crosses his mind. He's thinking about how can I bless my kids today? And once we realize that, then you'll call upon me and you'll come and you'll pray to me. I will listen to you. Then you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I've often tried to imagine what would it be like to find Jesus? I mean, I mean, okay, let's say, well, we all found him. We're all Christians. That's why we're on a Zoom call. Like, no, like find him. Like, I wonder if he really, if he walked in my room right now and let me see him. I wonder if I felt like I could walk out and change the state of California because Jesus is with me. I see, I think there's unlimited possibilities if we really could find him. And I think that's the invitation. I think he wants us to know how good he is for that one reason, that we'll never stop seeking him until we really find him. Because he hasn't changed. <laughs> He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I picked this verse for Thanksgiving week, because I thought, isn't that appropriate for us? Everything's in limbo, you know? Everything's like, what's next? And I read this verse, guess what? I got plans for you, and they're not to harm you. They're to really bless you. And it makes me just overflow with Thanksgiving, because God's got good plans for all of us. Amen? Come on. I, I know we all have burdens. Come on. I know there's things we're all facing. There's uncertainties. But when we realize that God's working a plan, it does nothing but bring faith and hope into my life. And I hope it gives you guys the, the motivation to be the most thankful people on the planet this week. Because we have a God who has good plans. Amen. So, so what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the takeaways? Maybe number one, don't fight your circumstances. Don't fight what you don't like. Don't try to fight it. Just enjoy God in the midst of it. Come on. Don't fight it. God's behind the whole thing. Worship God, trust God, believe God, pray to God, seek God. Don't fight circumstances. Fight to have intimacy with Jesus. 
And, and then number two, don't, don't make up your own prophecies. <laughs> Whether you know it or not, you're a prophet because we're in the new covenant now. Sons and daughters prophesy now. So we hear God, but let's don't let our own desires speak louder than what God's trying to tell us. Amen. And number three, let's get back to believing how good God really is. I look at this picture. Now Veda's young. She's pretty young. But most of us are like, okay, we're we're past halfway, maybe, right? We we've lived over half our lives, and some of us are maybe two thirds. And so, what does that mean? That means uh, in in this in the in the realm of how long we're going to live in our spirit, we got about two more blinks before we're with Him. Maybe we ought to start living our lives like that's our reality, and not allow momentary light afflictions to bring our gaze down to where we focus on what is temporary. Come on. Maybe we ought to keep living with this reality that we're going to live forever with Jesus and it's coming sooner than we know. And it'll keep our faith high. It'll keep our confidence high. It'll keep our hope alive. And we'll be contagious with hope and thanksgiving and love. Lord, I pray for everyone, uh, that's battling a sickness today, whether it's just a cold, a flu, a COVID virus, whatever it is, I pray that your healing presence would be released into every person. I pray that people would be restored, their strength would be restored. And uh, I pray today that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. 